Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. I'm really excited about my next guest. Not only is he an amazing father and husband to his children and wife, but he is also a stage four cancer survivor who wasn't given anything but a six month death sentence. This man is very successful both in his personal and professional life. He embraces life every day like it is a gift. Please give a warm welcome to Bradley C. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ace. Excited to be on and uh, share a little bit about my history. Well, I'm very excited to have you on as well. For those of you listening, Brad is the CEO and principal broker at, and I know I'm going to say this wrong, Kentuckiana Mortgage Group. Is that correct? That's it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's it's the combo of the states sometimes that trips me up. So uh, yeah, check him out at K-Y-I-N, that's Kentucky, Indiana, K-Y-I-N mortgage.com to learn more about his business and the services that he offers people. You can also follow Brad on Facebook at Brad C. Last name spelt S-E-A, just like the body of water. So before we get into it and learn more about who you are and why you chose to live life fully each day, I want to ask you this one very important question. How you doing, man? I'm great today. Um, yesterday, the weather was warm. Got to play a little golf uh, after uh, leaving the office yesterday and um, kind of rejuvenated being outside. Um, the, uh, I'm, over, I'm over the winter and inside. That's right. This winter, you're in southern Indiana, correct? Yep. Yeah, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Very close. I'm sure we're only a few hour drive from one another. And this time of year... Man, it gets cloudy, overcast, wet, cold, and we had the same weather yesterday and I made sure to take my... I love taking my dog out. And so take my dog out, get some vitamin D on the skin, Mm -hmm. get some exposure to the sun. It just elevates the mood, gets the hormones going and really is just something very simple, whether you're golfing, walking your dog or just taking a walk yourself. It's so powerful what a little bit of sunlight can do for you. Absolutely. Well, awesome, man. Well, hey, let's jump right into who you are. But before we get into who you are today, obviously, everything that has led up to who you are right now has become paramount to the person you are today. And we will get into who you are today because you are an amazing person, just like I said in the intro, an amazing father, amazing husband, amazing business owner. However, let's take a step back a little bit. So I'm assuming Being in the Midwest, you were born and raised somewhere around Southern Indiana, if that's correct. Yeah, I'm still, uh, I'm my, our offices at Kentucky and a mortgage group are about, uh, less than a half mile from the hospital I was born in. So, um, never really left Southern Indiana. Hey, if it's a good thing, there's no reason to leave, right? Yeah, we get the small town feel being in Southern Indiana, but we're still in Louisville Metro. You know, I can see downtown Louisville from my house. So kind of get the, the, you know, the positives of the big city, but we're kind of in the, you know, the river is a, is a hundred miles wide, you know, kind of thing where we kind of have uh insulated in Southern Indiana and get the, the country feel and a little small town. 
That's incredible. I've been through Louisville myself a few times. I haven't gone over that bridge uh, to get into Indiana that way before, but I've been through that part of the country. It is beautiful. It is serene. And Louisville's a little bit of a hustling, bustling city. So I can't even imagine how beautiful and quaint and serene your part of Indiana would be. Yeah, a lot of rolling hills and, you know, very family oriented. Everybody kind of knows each other. It's, uh, we love it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your backstory. Obviously, if people check you out on Facebook, they see that you have a beautiful family, beautiful wife, two beautiful children. Uh, was she a high school sweetheart? How did you guys first meet? No, we actually met through uh, mutual friends. Um, I, um, my, my niece and uh, my niece's best friend um, is a family member of hers. So we knew who each other were. And honestly, you made the, it said something about Instagram. I actually uh, slid into the DMs, as they say, and sent her a message. And uh, she agreed to a date. And then we've been together ever since. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, mod- modern technology these days. But same thing for me, like when I was growing up, I mm-hmm. uh, trusted my friend group and usually I would meet people through people. And that's, you know, I always say branches from the tree. It depends on what the base of the tree is, right? So if it's people you know, you trust, and and this works with any sort of business relationships too, and especially you being a broker in, in real estate is that your community, your support system is so important, the people you surround yourself with. And if you're surrounding yourself with good people, relationships from those people will will stem out. And it's absolutely incredible. And and you found your wife that way. And that is a testament to just who you surround yourself with and and put yourself around with, because now you're continuing a legacy of your family to the next generation. And also being in a small community to the community around you. Yeah. And you kind of, you said it perfectly. I, you know, I live and I don't remember who said it, but you're the sum of your five closest friends and the, the people you spend the most time with. And so I, I started, you know, really using that strategically and, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago and really surrounding myself with people that were positive and driven and, wanted to be successful. And and that's part one of the things that has gotten me to where I am today. Yeah. Did, did you always start out in the mortgage industry or were you doing something? Did, was there a prior life to what you're doing now? Yeah, there was. I actually started off uh, my professional career in IT. Um, I was naturally just understood the programming and um, went to college for in uh, computer information systems. Um, I actually never graduated. I realized at one point that that just wasn't for me. I needed to be out building relationships and not sitting behind a desk every day. And so I got into, I had a, one of my, one of my best friends, his dad owned a very successful insurance company, insurance brokerage, um, went to him was like, you know, computer science isn't for me. Like you're successful. Is there, is there a position in the insurance industry that I might fit? And so he initially hired me on in their IT department while I got insurance licenses and all that stuff. And I gave it a go in the insurance realm for a couple of years. Um, I was 21, 22 at the time and uh, it didn't work out. And 
looking back, it wasn't that I really did anything wrong. It was, I didn't understood what it took to be successful. You know, I saw, I was surrounded by people that were successful, but I didn't realize how much time and energy they had put in the previous 10 to 20 years before I saw them being successful. And I just didn't, I just didn't realize what that took uh, at the time. Sounds like you saw, which I fall victim to this as well. You see the end result of someone's success or even the view of someone's success, whether they drive a nice car, have a nice house, appear to have a nice family. Social media is great at posting how wonderful life is at times. And it's easy to get ourselves tripped up on seeing that end product, but not fully. We have an idea, I think, in our heads. Okay, it came easy. Like we look at these sports stars, same thing. But the dedication, the time, the sacrifice that it takes to do anything worthwhile in the world. I, I agree too. And I think especially at a younger age, like you said, you were 21, 22, just getting, I'm assuming out of college, you did IT probably for, I'm making lots of assumptions. So yeah. interject and correct me if I'm wrong at any point. Uh, this is obviously the first time we've talked. So I, I don't know your sto- story fully, but yeah. I can relate to it in a lot of ways. No, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like the IT thing was for a couple of years, did internships through college and, you know, worked um, two jobs and did all the things. But when I got into the professional sales building relationship world, I didn't understand like how much time you really have to put in to start seeing results. And the, the sports athlete is a good analogy. You know, they're practice, 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 practice before you, they, you know, hit one shot in a game that propels them. And, and that's what it takes. You build relationships and you work with people and you do all these things. And then you get in our world, in the real estate world, you get one shot with the, the one client or the one real estate agent. And, and you've done all the work and you make that go super smooth and really successful. And then and then it kind of snowballs from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with that 100 percent. So you say you said that. You didn't like I.T., you went into insurance, so you're making a change already, whether you're, you realize it at the time or not. What were some of the things that you began to realize after that insurance experience that led you to realizing things like the crazy work ethic, doing things when other people are maybe oh. watching TV and you know taking nights off, taking weekends off? Like, What were some of the things you started to notice and st- implemented in your life to take that next step forward? Yeah. So I, I had to take a step back. Um, I took a job at um, a bank that everybody would know, but I took a job at a bank that had a salary, a little bit of sales commission as part of that um, had benefits that I really you know, sought after at the time. I, I took a little step back in income, but I needed to kind of reset what I was doing, get some more stability and then work my way up from there. Um, so it was during, and I know that we're probably going to talk about this, but it was during that time when I was working at the bank, when I was, uh, got the cancer diagnosis. And then from there, things started changing very drastically in my life. And that kind of propelled me, um, to taking honestly more risks after I had taken that step back. Um, and then eventually, uh, happenstance, uh, a friend of mine was in the mortgage industry, um, became good friends with his boss doing stuff. And and then he said, why don't you come do mortgages? And 
you know, you don't grow up thinking, hey, I want to be a mortgage broker. Uh, but it, it fit. It worked. I think what you first said was so important that you took a step back. I feel like people a lot of times feel like they just need to keep making steps forward. They need to keep growing. But at times we do need to take a step back, collect ourselves, evaluate what's going right, what's going wrong. There's nothing wrong with taking a step back. It's the important thing is don't take that step back and stay there or continue to take steps back. Understand that it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of intelligence, growth, getting, becoming more wise. And so I really appreciate you saying it that way, because at times, personally, I feel like if I'm taking a step back, sometimes I can be hard on myself. I can be like, kind of like that drill sergeant, like, why are you doing that? But it's, it's so important to, if, if things don't feel right, sometimes get yourself out of that situation and kind of just collect yourself. Yeah. At the time I gave up a lot of uh, freedom with time that I enjoyed, you know, the industry, insurance industry and the mortgage industry. And, you know, you make your own schedule. You kind of like, if I wanted to go play golf at noon on a Tuesday, I could. And uh, taking that step back, I gave up a lot of the freedom of time to go work for a bank where I had banking hours and worked every other Saturday. And that was, a, uh, it was, it wasn't easy. <laughs> I can tell you that it was, um, it was challenging, but it was well worth it. I, I learned a lot. It, I, it had to happen. Exactly. So you had thrown in there and I would love to jump into it if, if you feel comfortable talking about it. Can you walk us mm -hmm. through that specific day that you found out that you were diagnosed with cancer or maybe even leading up to it? Because obviously you just, most people don't just show up to the doctor and they get that kind of diagnosis. Can you lead us first up to what led you to get to that point and then the actual event itself? Yeah, absolutely. So July 3rd of 2008 is the date I was diagnosed. And so I'll work up to that date a little bit. So the previous four or five months before that date, um, I had, they tell you all the signs of cancer, sudden weight loss, um, night sweats, you rattle off these four or five things that happened that I at the time didn't know were indications of cancer. But when I on July 3rd, when I go back and look at the previous four or five months, uh, I had lost 10 or 15 pounds. And at the time I was starting to eat healthier. So I just attributed to, Hey, I'm eating healthier. I'm exercising a little bit more. That's why I've lost all this weight, man. It's really coming off kind of thing. And so then the night sweats, you know, I was in my mid twenties, I was maybe drinking a few more beers than I should have and kind of attributed it to my lifestyle at the time. So I was trying to make a little bit of a change there. But the thing that really propelled me to eventually go to the doctor is in by the time noon, one o'clock rolled around every day, I was just exhausted, like trying to keep my eyes open at my desk where it was, it was hard not to fall asleep, you know, after lunchtime. And so in the building that I worked in, there was a primary care physician in the, in the office next door, literally shared a wall. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to this doctor. Um, I don't remember if it was a Monday or Tuesday, but it was, I think it was in the middle of the week. Um, and so in the afternoon after lunch, I went and she looked me over and 
walked out of the room a couple times and it seemed like she couldn't really grab wrap her mind around what was going on. And so she sent me, I, she was like, I need you to go get a um, ultrasound on your heart. Okay. I, I got a volleyball game tonight. I hope this doesn't take long kind of thing. And so I went to um, a separate doctor office that was a couple miles away, drove down there. They did an ultrasound on my heart. Again, nurse leaves the room, is gone 15, 20 minutes. She's like, I, I called the doctor. He's on his way down here. And at that point, I'm like, okay, like what is what is really going on here? So they come and do ultrasound on my heart. And at that point, they're like, your resting heart rate is about 155 beats a minute. It's like, wow. okay, that seems like a lot. I haven't really been exercising. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. And so from that point, we're going to send you to the hospital. Um, at that time, it was a hospital that I wasn't that familiar with uh, at the county, the county over from us. And I was like, no, I want to go to um, Floyd Memorial. I've got friends that work there. One of my friends was the head um, charge nurse and surgery. Like I, I know people that work there and I, I feel more comfortable there. I'm going to drive myself. So I leave, go straight to the hospital. They do a CT scan. They're going to keep me overnight. They need to look things over, you know, call my mom and my family and say, hey, I'm, I'm at the hospital. They're going to keep me overnight. I'm going to miss my volleyball match tonight. This is super annoying. I'm frustrated kind of thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. What's I'm just so curious. What's going through your head this whole time? Because you're going from doctor to doctor and you're you seem like a very healthy person. So this is highly unusual. And you're just getting these little snippets of okay, heart rate's up. I don't know what that means. Listen, that what what was going through your mind during this these hours? This is probably nothing. Like, I don't know why everybody's making a big deal about this. Like, I'm going to go to the hospital. They're going to do a CT scan, give me some medicine or do something, and then I'll be home tomorrow um, kind of thing. And so I even told my mom, I was like, don't come down to the hospital. At the time, they, they still do live three or four miles away from the hospital. So it's five or 10 minutes away. I was like, don't come down here. Like, there's no need. Like, I'll call you in the morning. Like, I'm fine. So I'm just going to go to sleep and get some rest. And so um, the next morning, doctor comes in. Multiple doctors start coming in. Um, they tell me that there's a mass in my chest cavity about the size of a grapefruit. And the reason my resting heart rate was so high is because the mass had grown so big that it basically had my heart backed into a corner. So my heart couldn't take full beats. So it was taking a little bunch of little bitty beats to try to keep, you know, keep me going. And that attributed to why I was um, getting so exhausted in the afternoon. So uh, immediate emergency surgery to do a pericardial window on my heart to relieve some pressure and do a biopsy of at the time, um, which come to find out was a tumor um, called mediastinum, mediastinum non-seminoma, which is kind of a rare germ cell tumor. It's actually in the same family as testicular cancer. It's kind of treated the same, but it's pretty rare for it to um, show up in the chest cavity. So it wasn't like part of an organ or a lung or anything. It was just a cell that activated and grew. They said over six to eight months from a single cell to the size of a grapefruit. Pardon my ignorance. That sounds pretty insane. One for the speed of how it grew and the size of it. And 
I had mentioned that you were stage four. So I'm assuming that's why they elected to do surgery immediately. There wasn't any time to waste in your situation. No. And actually I told, I shared with you my, one of my best friends was in surgery at Floyd Memorial and he was in that initial surgery. And when they initially laid me down on the operating tool on the operating table to do that, I flatlined um, for, he said an uncomfortable amount of time. Oh, wow. So, um, but yeah, they were able to relieve the pressure and get me back in the hospital and, or get me back up to the room um, fairly quickly. The initial diagnosis was kind of back and forth. They weren't really sure. It just so happens that my primary care physician that I'd had my entire life had been to a seminar where a guy by the name of Dr. Einhorn, who is actually Lance Armstrong's oncologist as well, um, at the IU Medical Center in Indianapolis. And he had spoken at this seminar about these rare germ cell tumors that appear in the chest cavity. And so Dr. Lau sent my pathology slides to Dr. Einhorn and he said, yep, this is exactly what this is. We need to start on starting on chemo right away. How long did the chemo last? Because just to give you a little bit of background of me, my mother had breast cancer and she went through three years, repeated chemo radiation. And so I saw how destructive, obviously it's meant to kill the cancer and, and, get it not come back, but it doesn't discriminate between the good and the bad cells. And it just, from my personal experience, seeing my mother go through that, I can only imagine what you were going through. Were, were you married at that time? I was not. I was, okay. uh, I was actually single at the time. So okay. um, my cancer or my uh, chemo was 40 hours a week, every third week. So I did... Um, I would be on chemo basically 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, every day. I would have two weeks off to let my body recover, and then I would do another round of 40 hours. And so I did 11 total rounds of that. So I've got over, what is that, over 450 hours of uh, chemo. Man, that's incredible. How was it? Because I obviously I, I know, but for those of you listening, like one, what was the physical toll on your body? And then also what was the mental toll? And then I'm going to throw a third question at you. What was it that got you through all of this? So if you could describe what you went through mentally and physically, and then jump into what, what motivated you, you to obviously saving your life is, is a huge motivator, yeah. but we, we can get really down at times, especially when our bodies are so worn down. So if, if you could jump into that, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So physically it was, it, it destroyed my, you know, and muscle atrophy and all kinds of other things. Um, I, like you said, I, I'm a pretty healthy person. You know, I'll generally walk around, I'm, I'm about six, one, about 190 pounds. And, um, but by the time I got through the second round of chemo, I was about 140 pounds. I mean, skin and bones, basically. Um, it was a struggle to walk up a full flight of steps without stopping to sit down to take a break kind of thing. It was, um, it was hard. You know, you, I taught, you know, the, for the full week, the 40 hours, you know, I'd start on Monday, Monday would be okay. Not a whole lot of negative effects Tuesday. By the end of the day, Tuesday, I really started feeling terrible by Wednesday. I couldn't eat. Um, Thursday, Friday was literally just, um, I could physically couldn't move. 
Saturday, Sunday, kind of the same. And then by Monday, Tuesday, I could kind of get back to, you know, moving around again. Um, so did that 10 times. The physical toll was, um, it was hard. I mean, it was, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. A lot of just laying around watching TV and doing, and doing nothing. It was uh, challenging. The mental aspect was, uh, there was only, I, there was probably only one or two times where I really got down in, you know, in a negative mindset about like, maybe I'm not going to come out on the other side of this, but uh, I kind of went at this, you know, face of full force and told my doctors and oncologists, give me whatever you got, like throw it all at me. I'm not scared of it. Just give it to me. I'll get through it. I'll figure it out. And I tried to keep in my mindset that this was a blip in my life. Like this was, this was just something, it was just something that I had to deal with and I just needed to get through it. And that was kind of my mindset the entire time. I remember the very last day of chemo, my very last eight hour day, I was like, I told the nurses, I was like, what is, what if I just don't do today? You know, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just over it. And they were like, what if you don't do today? Like, what if you don't do this one more day? Like that could mean the, you maybe needed this to keep the cancer cells away kind of thing. I was like, okay, you're right. Like, you know, the last, you know, running a marathon, the last half mile or the last, you know, whatever, when you're doing something, the final one or 2% is really what propels you. And that just hearing them and having them say that was, all right, let's do it. Let's do Let's just do the one more day. We got one more day. I love that. I love how your well, one, I love your perspective on the situation. This is a blip on the radar of Brad's life. Given everything, it was probably around a year, right? With a mm -hmm. finding out surgery, all of that, uh, more or less. We sometimes see our problems as insurmountable, as it's always going to be like this. And I applaud you that in your situation, you were able to look at the worst diagnosis. I don't know if there's a worse diagnosis in our modern times right now than cancer stage four cancer plus being being given a time frame six months and for you to have enough foresight and perspective to tell yourself this isn't how i'm going down i'm going to give this my all and then even in a moment of weakness because our minds can do that to us you had amazing support staff, the nurses, the doctors, I'm assuming your family was right there with you, small town, community, friends, family, people from your high school, people from your university, all over the place. My, my mother actually went to IU and was from Northern Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I know how tight of a community uh, people from Indiana are. And when we are weak, whether we know it or not, talking about that support system again, it is so important because even if we don't think it's a big deal, like going to that last one, it's like, I've done 11 rounds of this 40 hours a time. This is just eight hours. And they're like, you're finishing that race. You're going to finish this marathon because if you don't, that's going to define that little bit will define the rest of your life, whether we like it or not. And I love how just a little correction, just a comment. You're like, Oh yeah. Duh. 
let's finish yeah. this thing. Yeah, why not? Like we've come this far. Just let's just get it done, kind of thing. And so it was. Um, and then that was my last round. Was after my um, so during all of this in between the um, at one point they thought the cancer had um, had died and it was just a dead mass in my chest. And so um, they were like, we're going to leave it in there. It's, it's too intertwined with everything. Like we're kind of comfortable. Just, we're just going to leave it in there and see how, and see what happens. Tests. Um, my, the alpha feta protein was my cancer marker. Alpha feta protein spiked. And that means cancer was back kind of thing. So, um, when a couple months during this year, so we're, we're going back um, a little bit, but this is in February um, of 2009, the cancer's, you know, reared its ugly head again. It was back. So um, at that point, it was the only other, we've given you, we've given you enough chemo to basically kill somebody. There's not a next level of chemo that we can give you. Now we've got to try to go in and take it out. And so Dr. Kenneth Kessler, thoracic surgeon, Mike, cannot what an amazing man um sorry that brings back a lot of emotions um that's all right just take your time he was unbelievable he was like i think i can go in and get this and he said i've not done this before what do you think if i just cut all the way across your chest and then that way i can you know, break your rib cage open. And I think if I do that, I can go in and get all of it. And that way I don't, I've only got to make one cut. We're in and out in six, seven hours. And I think we, I think I can get it all. He was like, what do you think? I was like, uh, I, I'm a banker. Uh, you're a thoracic, world renowned thoracic surgeon. I'm going to trust your opinion on this, but if you think you can, let's do it. Um, and so we scheduled surgery for February 26th of 2009 and, you know, that's a, it was a surgery that I had, a, a, if I remember correctly, it was a 30% chance of not waking up from, it was a, it was a pretty intense surgery. Um, it was, uh, it was very tough that morning of surgery, having, you know, almost my entire family in Indianapolis at the hospital, um, and by twos coming into my pre-op room and, and hugs and all love yous and unfortunately, like, hopefully see you on the other side, almost goodbyes if it was a goodbye. And, um, that was tough mentally. And then they're like, okay, are you ready? And I asked them in this moment, and I, and I hadn't thought about this before. I was like, I want to walk into the operating room and I want to lay down on the operating table. Like I need to own this. This needs to be, this needs to be my thing. You know, we've never had anybody do that before, but we don't see why not. And so they open the big operating uh, room doors and it's this cathedral style like operating room. And there's probably 15 people in there prepping things and doing this, that, and the other. And they turned and looked at me and saw me walking in and they like, they got excited almost like, yes. And I laid down and said, <laughs> I kind of made a joke. I said, I hope everybody got a good night of sleep last night. Cause I'm gonna need you on your A game. And so after that, they put me under, Seven hours later, I was awake and back in my room and the rest is kind of history. It's, uh, it's been, uh, since then I've had zero, zero cancer markers, been completely cancer free. I say this line a lot, but 
I really mean this. I absolutely love that story. There's so many layers to it. Just at the beginning from your doctor saying, telling you being completely vulnerable, transparent, honest about his skill set. I feel confident doing this, but I've never done it before. Yeah. Do you trust me? Do you have faith in me to do this for you? Cause I think I can do it. It's like, go, this guy has been prepping his whole career and he's very competent. It sounds like very skilled, yeah. very good at what he does. And he was willing to take a leap of faith himself. And you were willing to take that with him. And that is so incredible, so powerful. Cause that is a huge risk. Like you said, 30%, one in three of not making it. And then on top of that, having everybody come in, I, I got this story mixed up. I thought you had the surgery first and then went through the chemo afterwards. That was the experience I, I saw with my mother, but you went through the chemo first and then the surgery. So you had people, family, friends, everybody coming to you, not knowing what to say. Some saying, Yes, get through this. I'll see you on the other side. I'm not going to say goodbye or anything. But other people saying, fuck, what if this is the last time I see him? Like, I want to say what I need to say. So he yeah. knows. And you take all that. And you do something that no one else in that hospital has ever done. You took ownership. You were dealt a horrible hand. Nobody should go through what you just went through. No. or have to do it, especially at that age. And you owned it. You walked into that room. You own the room as the person who's about to get sliced open, rib cage broken open, insides exposed to everybody. But just like that doctor, you owned it. You commanded that room. And at the same time, you led those people because you put them in a state. They're just doing their job. You're the one that possibly can die from this. Yeah. And you went through it. Oh my goodness. I just, I applaud you, man. I have so much respect for what you did and it's no wonder you did survive it and you've gone on to really do incredible things with your life. And I really appreciate you sharing that because that is so powerful. What you had just said that you had taken full ownership, dealt the worst hand, but you didn't complain. You didn't act like a victim. You didn't say, why is me piss and moan and complain and all that crap. You owned it no matter what you were given and you just made the best of, of that situation and empowered everybody around you. Yeah, it was uh, in hindsight and saying you saying all those kind things and, and, and in the moment I just needed to just do me and, and like you said, just own it. And um, in hindsight, hearing you uh, talk about that, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible, but I, I also stay very humble in that I am one of the lucky ones. And there's so many others out there, you know, with your mom and other people, my own family members that, you know, weren't as lucky. And I, um, I constantly remind myself of that, that I, I got to be one of the lucky ones. Yeah. It sounds given everything to your, like I said before, you have perspective, you're very grounded, very wise beyond your years. And I don't think people all the time are tested like, like you've been tested, but at the same time, I honestly believe you were tested for a reason and you went through it like a warrior and got through it and shoot, 
We're going to talk about all this stuff here in a minute. I'm very excited to yeah. talk about what changes happened afterwards and in, in your life after all this, because I always love to say the best is yet to come. And in your story, the best is yet to come. So before we jump into that, I just want to tell everybody listening that Brad is the CEO and principal broker. I'm going to mess it up again of Kentuckiana Mortgage Group Incorporated. You can check them out on their website at kynmortgage.com. Also follow him on Facebook at Brad C. So we had alluded earlier in the show to mindset shift changes when it came to business. And I tell people all the time, business is just an extension of who you are. So really improving your business skills and business relationships and all that, it really comes from personal relationships and personal growth. So you got through cancer, chemo, then a crazy surgery. What was your new outlook on life? How did it change or what things were now open to you that weren't open before? Yeah. So, I, you know, after all that happens, you know, with the, the highs and lows of all that, I went back to my, the job, my, my job at the bank. Um, that was a secure, that was a, that was a safe space for me. Um, I was very familiar with it and all those things. And so, but I, that's not where I wanted to stay. I wanted to do something different, but I hadn't figured that out yet. And so you hear, there's a song, right? Live like you're dying. Like everybody says, like, live like you were dying. Well, I, I, decided I, I wanted to live like I was going to live, you know? So now I was, now I'm going to live, like I'm going to start living like I'm going to live for a very long time. And so it was figuring out what I wanted to do next. And just so it was a happenstance, I, earlier I alluded to my friend and um, his manager, who was also a friend in the mortgage industry. Um, avid snowboarders um, have been my entire life. I see you've got a picture on top of a mountain behind you. Um, so they were like, hey, I think we're going to plan a trip to Switzerland, go to Zermatt, spend 10 days in Zermatt snowboarding. And I was like, oh God, like I had just survived this like, you know, crazy health ex cancer experience and was like, I'm, I'm going like, I'll figure out the money. Like we'll figure it out. I'm going to go. So we go and on the trip, um, his name's Clifton. Clifton goes, Hey, why, when we get back, why don't you come do mortgages with me? Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, Oh, I don't know. And okay. You know what? I'm in. Oh, we'll, we'll, I'm in. When we get back, I'll leave my job. I come do mortgages with you. And I did. And he, took me under his wing, taught me the business, the building relationships, what to do, like the nuts and bolts and forever grateful for everything that he taught me and did. And um, he since is no longer in the mortgage industry and, and doing other things, but I stayed and it sounds weird, but my, you know, my love for problem solving and math and building relationships, weirdly the mortgage industry just like fit with my personality and how I think. And it just, I don't know. I just took to it for some reason. And I never thought I was going to do mortgages or that I would love doing them. But I generally enjoy the, the human aspect of helping people buy their first house or, you know, the couple downsize into, you know, something more manageable for them or, you know, there's just so many, you get to touch so many people's lives on a daily basis. And then the problem solving with the back end and the underwriting and all these things. And, the math and interest rates and, you know, amortization schedules and how 
best to figure out what you know product or what interest rate and pricing and closing costs works best for a client situation. Like all of those things just like fit with what I enjoyed doing. And so I just embraced and jumped all and I went all in. And here we are 12, 13 years later. Um, it's been a, it's been a wild, amazing, and, you know, it's been a great ride, honestly. Um, sounds so, like the mortgage industry found you. It kind of did. Honestly, it, uh, I genuinely enjoy it. And then I, you know, we started, we earlier, we talked about what it takes to be successful. And then I started seeing the people that were in the industry and what they were doing to be successful. And so I started adapting those things and, you know, I started getting up at 5am, you know, working out, exercising, doing those things or whatever to get my day going. Cause I realized once I got busy in the business and in, and in the industry, there was so much work I could get done between six and 8am before emails and phone calls and text messages and all these things start happening. And so I embraced that early morning routine and, and I was proactive those first three or four hours. So I had the ability to be reactive the rest of the day. And I really just embraced that. And I think that's really kind of one of the things that, you know, has brought me to this point um, as a, a really big contributing factor. You are speaking my language. I love that because the normal eight to five business, especially being in an industry that has quote unquote set business hours you need to find the times where you can fit all of these personal development things in, whether it's exercise or meditation, prayer, um, whatever those morning or evening rituals are. I posted a, a YouTube video on my channel where I was walking in Centennial Park here in Nashville at four, I think it was 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning. And when I was in my 20s, shoot, my entire life, up until the last couple of years, I thought I would have been crazy to be not only up at that hour on a Sunday, but to be outside in the cold since it's winter and walking my dog of all things. And I was like, I have to shoot a video of this because you have to fit that time in and waking up earlier is probably the best way of doing all of these things because most people are asleep or they're just getting ready for their day. Meanwhile, you're winning your day. I, I remember there was a quote, if you win the first hour of your day or if you win your mornings, you win the entire day. I believe that 100%. I have nightly it's rituals so as well, but I'm not a night person. I'm not going to pretend to say I'm a night owl. For those of you listening, I'm in bed probably around 9 p.m. most nights, unless I'm late on my rituals and then I stay up till 10, 10.30 to make sure I fit them all in. But I love how you said normal work hours, you're in your work, Brad, at that point, you're focused on that. You're not going to, you're not going to sacrifice your mission, your business mission during those hours. That's when you serve, that's for your clients, that's for your employees. But if you need to fit things in, get up earlier. There's a, a couple years ago and, you know, actually maybe more than a couple, six, seven years ago, like I don't, between I was staying up till 10 or 11 and just watching TV or Netflix or whatever. And like, okay, this is not a, maybe not a waste of time. I don't want it to sound like a really negative, but like you, there's a lot of nights that I go to bed at 
I'm in bed at 8.30 and asleep by 8.45 or, or 9 o'clock. And that's, you know, I enjoy that. My, my phone kind of goes into silent mode at 9, at 9 o'clock. And that's my time to, you know, on the weekends, I may stay up till 10 or 10.30 if I'm feeling crazy. Um, but outside of that, you know, I, I'm in bed early and, and up generally around 5 or 5.30. I'm with you. I love television as well. Netflix, Hulu, mm-hmm. Apple TV. Prime video, I have them all. And when I moved into my apartment that I'm in, t- in right now, I decided not to put up a TV. One, it's there's not that much room and there wasn't a good location for it. But two, I was like, well, let me see what happens because I had this habit of just throwing on the TV, watching it for probably too many hours at night and sometimes at the same time snacking. So compounding all of these things, bright light at night isn't good for your sleep. Staying up late at night isn't good for your sleep. Munching, probably unhealthy food, because I love <laughs> chips, not good. And you start stacking these, these things and by themselves, they're not bad, especially in moderation. They're, they're great things. But just not having a TV in my house, I still pull open my laptop from time to time, throw on Netflix, mm-hmm. what have you. You can stream all of that. But I've noticed that my television watching went probably from, I don't know, on average 10 hours a week to under one just by not having my TV in the house. And doing simple stuff like that is incredible because I can still get my TV fix whenever I want. And so starting to make these minor tweaks in your life have such a compound effect that we're not even aware of at the time. I was just like, I don't want my TV around because I know I'll watch it and I don't miss it at all. I'm reading. I read instead. I'm not getting the light. I'm learning. I'm reading cool stories. And yeah, I'll still throw on Netflix every week and enjoy a show, but I'm not indulging in it like I used to. And it's made all the difference for me. Yeah, we have uh, like we got up this morning and we realized that we, 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 my wife and I watched an hour of a show last night um, before we went to bed, but um, our son didn't see any TV yesterday. Like, Oh, Beckham didn't watch any TV yesterday at all. I'm like, okay, like maybe we do that again tomorrow. It's supposed to be not, but it's supposed to be nice to get him outside. Let's, let's get him out of, he's, he's almost two, but let's get him out of this kind of routine that winter has put us in of him watching the Grinch. We started watching the Grinch around Christmas time and we're still watching the Grinch now that it's uh, almost the end of February. We're trying to get out of the Grinch, but um, now that it's outside and the weather's warmed up, like let's get him out of this rut that he's in as an almost two year old of wanting to watch TV and getting doing stuff. Um, so that's uh, kind of like what you talked about is just got to get out of those. Um, you can make small changes. You don't have to just cut it out completely. Just, cut it to an episode a night or instead of three there, those Netflix shows and the, uh, the other stuff, they'd very good at getting you to hit play next. Right. <laughs> hey, TV is not the enemy. TV is not bad. Social media is not bad, but if you learn how to use it differently instead of it using you, I, I've been saying this a lot lately, not on air, but uh, to people in my circle and just in my head, there's a difference between being a consumer and being a creator. So us as Americans, we love to consume, 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 consume. It doesn't matter what it is, social media, television, food, objects. We are a consumer driven nation. However, 
if you shift that to more of a creator mindset. So instead of consuming television, you're creating experiences with your family. Your child is now experiencing time with his family. Like I remember growing up, my best memories are times I spent with my family. It wasn't watching TV, even if I was watching TV with them. Those are not my best experiences. What you're talking about is being a creator of your family, a creator of life. And it seems so minimal. Let's not watch TV. Let's just go outside. But it's monumental in experiencing life. And this is the perfect segue. When I go on your Facebook, I see tons of pictures of your beautiful wife, your beautiful children. Feels like to me that that is such a huge part of who you are. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, as much time as I spend in business and, you know, in the real estate mortgage industry, there's certain things you got to do in the evening if somebody needs something quickly. But, you know, that the, there, there's certain non-negotiable time that I have with the family and the kids and I won't, I won't, I won't bend from that. Um, so, you know, and, and be honest, you know, when you're, you know, running a company and doing all those things, it's, e- it's, it's easy to um, not prioritize those things as much. And, and even I at times have to take a step back and my wife is very good at reminding me like, Hey, you're not being very present right now. And I, and I need her to remind me of that because I get lost in my head about something that happened or, um, you know, this morning I was thinking about, you know, this podcast and I was in my head and she asked me to grab something and I, and I didn't even hear her. And she was like, did you even hear me? I'm like, no, like my, I'm in my head right now. Thank you. And she kind of brings me back and grounds me. And, but I need, I need her to remind me to be present at times because it's, it's very easy to get lost in your head or, um, depending on what you're doing. And, um, I think it's, I could probably do a better job of reminding myself and not, you know, use her as much as a crutch for that. And that's, it's one of the things that I'm really trying to focus on this year. I love that you said that I can relate to it completely at times, especially being business owners and driven people, we can get stuck in our head and it's until we get out of our head and into our heart that things like not being present start to happen but you have a partner, your wife sounds amazing. You have a partner who doesn't shame you for that, doesn't get on your case for that. She works with you. She reminds you and does it in a positive, uplifting way. And that is huge. And that's a testament, not only to your wife, but to y'all's relationship. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important for us uh, in that situation to realize that she isn't getting on me. She's just reminding me. I think it's very easy to take uh, a comment like that and go, I'm, you know, whatever. Um, but for me, it's remind. I have to now I've got it. But at first it was like, oh, she's getting on me again. And now I've now I've come to realize that she's just trying to help me, and that's and I need that help, and I think that you know we all need help at some time in, in some in, in sometimes, and so it's uh, you have to remind yourself that if the people that are around you aren't coming from a negative place, they're trying to help you become better. And that was a pretty big pretty big uh, leap for me a couple of years ago. Yeah. Life is not a one man race. It would be very lonely if we were doing it 
by ourselves, but I understand where you're coming from, that knee-jerk reaction. And the more you realize it, and the more you talk about it, talk to your wife about it, that will start the change because now you're aware of it. That's just step one to change, first being aware. And then now it's getting the reps in and changing because it, before the podcast, we talked about neurocircuits and, and all mm-hmm. of that. That's just changing the neural wiring in your brain and in your body and in your habits. And we can all do that. But I love how you talked about first being aware of it because that's step number one. And then you can move forward from there. And I really appreciate you sharing that because that, that is some personal information. And obviously this is going to go out to the world wide web. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I appreciate wow. you, you being open and honest with uh, both myself and, and our audience. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's something that I need to do more is just be more um, aware and open to having these conversations. I think it, it, hopefully it helps the listeners, but having these conversations and talk about this helps myself grow as well. And I think it took me a while to realize that when I talk about my experiences and what I'm going through, it helps me um, continue with that, you know, kind of that repetition that you talked about. Yeah. Open conversation. It's hard to be vulnerable because once we are vulnerable, that leaves us open to attack and that hurts. I'm yeah. I know all of us have been wounded before by being open and vulnerable with the ones we love, whether, whether uh, we realized it at that time or not. Um, but no, I, once again, I really appreciate you opening up. So your life has completely changed. You're grabbing life by the horns, so to speak. You're grabbing that tiger by the neck and yeah. really taking control of your life. What, what does the next five to 10 years, I know that's such a generic question, but maybe I won't phrase it like that. What does the future look like for you? And what are you really excited about when you rub that crystal ball and look into your future with you, your family, your business? You know, uh, I'm 41 now, so I kind of have, you know, I don't want to put an end date on anything, but, uh, my goal, I'm working towards financial freedom, right? That's what everybody's after the, you know, retire early thing. And I don't, know that my work ethic and drive will ever let me truly retire, but I'm never going to retire, man. (laughs) Yeah. At at some point I would like to not, um, I guess I don't want this to sound bad, but at some point I want my family to rely on me and not all of these other people around me, I guess. And I don't want that to sound negative, but I want to be able to have some more freedom with, travel and doing those things. And so that's really my drive and my why, like setting, making sure the kids and family and finances and all that stuff are taken care of. But because of my past experience with cancer and all that stuff that I went through, I do have this, you know, kind of turn 50, maybe 55 where I want to, um, I'm working toward that financial freedom. So we're actively buying some investment properties. We just bought a uh, a historic mansion here in downtown New Albany that's eight apartment units that we're completely renovating from top to bottom and very excited about that because I need more things to do. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Life. We always need more um, things to do. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I'm working towards that. I think that I've got, you know, at some point in, in any industry and, 
you know, maybe Steve Jobs never got burnt out, but I think that at some point, no matter what you're doing, you're going to get burnt out on it. And I think that's going to happen for me. It hasn't happened yet, but I want to be able to, I don't ever want to feel like I'm handcuffed to my desk or this job or whatever. So when I get to that point, um, I want to be able to change what I'm doing or shift what I'm doing pretty freely. That's incredible. I love how you have a great vision of why you want to get to that stage. And you have that vision, what you want, but you also have the fire, the motivation. It's spending more time, creating more of those experiences with your family. And now you're taking the action steps. You're being proactive, leveraging relationships around you, leveraging your knowledge of the community. I'm big into real estate, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And taking the daily action, just like the morning rituals and all of that, that we talked about to make that happen. Because if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to hit that bullseye. But once you know where that bullseye is, now you can start making your way towards it. It might, it's never going to be a perfect straight line to get to it, but now you're taking the action steps to make it happen. And as long as you keep doing that, like you get up early and do your morning uh, rituals, you're going to make that happen. And so. I'm super excited for your journey. I am very, very excited to follow you on Facebook. I love, I, I was stalking your Facebook profile. I wow. love seeing the photos of the family. I love seeing your business, the employees, all the great things you're doing. We didn't have a chance to hit on this, but I know philanthropy giving back is a huge part of who you are. And that was another reason I really wanted you to come on and, can with the last few minutes, can you hit a little bit on the things that you're doing to give back? Yeah, so we uh, obviously the IU Cancer Center in Indianapolis has a has a little place, little piece of my heart, maybe uh, literally. Um, but uh, we do a lot with the IU uh, Simone Cancer Center Foundation. Um, we were at the Chuck Strong event last year. We're going again this April um, with Chuck Pagano. Um, same went to the same hospital as I did uh, former head coach of the Colts. Um, we do a lot with that. We do um, stuff with Jimmy V foundation. And then here locally, we do as much as we can with, you know, kids and puppies hold a dear place in my heart. So we do some stuff with blessings in the backpack. Um, for one of my daughter's birthdays, we didn't have any gifts. We, we, everybody had to bring something to donate to the local animal shelter. Um, and so we're just constantly trying to be creative um, on what we do and really, really focused on where our time and, you know, money is spent on the philanthropy things. Um, I'm hoping that um, with more success, I have the ability to do more of those things and, and get involved uh, even more than I am now. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's just another reason why I respect you so much throughout your life from what we've talked about here in the past hour, you have decided to show up in life and do what is required of you as a man, as a human being, as a steward of your community, as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, you show up day in and day out. And that is a true mark of a superhero. You're mission driven. You've got a strong identity, a purpose, 
And your superpowers are just incredible. Your ability to relate to people, your ability to have love and compassion and empathy towards people, take situations that other people might fold or crumble or seem insurmountable and have insane perspective to push through it for the betterment of yourself, your life, your family, and your community overall. And I just completely applaud for the man you are when you get up. We all get up the same way. We put our pants on one leg at a time and you do it with purpose and drive. And it was an absolute honor having you here on the show. I appreciate you, Ace. And it's, uh, this has been, uh, an experience and I got to relive and, and you know, get emotion. And I, I love that. Um, the, you know, Jimmy V in his speech, the live every day, you know, the, bring your emotions to happy in tears. Like you, you need to experience every emotion every day. And, and, and this conversation really brought out a lot and reminded me uh, of those things. And I really appreciate it. Well, I'm just here behind the microphone, just having a conversation, but you're the one that does the heavy lifting on this show. And I appreciate you sharing your story, being vulnerable with our audience and giving them an opportunity to listen to your life and be inspired by it. Cause honestly, man, you're, you freaking inspired me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. For those of you who are listening, Brad C is the CEO and principal broker at Kentuckiana Mortgage Group Incorporated. You can find more information about their mortgage services on www.kyinmortgage.com and also become a Facebook friend of his, Brad C. Once again, that's spelled S-E-A. So Brad, really appreciate your time. Thank you for carving this time out to be with us, sharing everything with the audience. It, It was absolutely incredible having you on. Thank you again, Ace. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, for those of you who are listening, thank you once again. It is, I'm so blessed and honored to be talking with all of you. You guys are the driving force, the reason behind, shoot, why this podcast even exists. And without your love and support, there would be no podcast. So once again, I really appreciate your time, taking your time out of your day to be with me and wonderful guests like Brad. And I hope you have a great day, a great week. And with that said, ace out.